0: This message was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Galatians chapter 4. For the next two Sundays, we're going to take a break from our Acts series, and we're going to study different passages about Christ's coming to prepare our hearts for Advent. So this morning, we're going to take a look at Galatians chapter 4. Look at verse 4 with me. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is God's word. Buddy's life was shattered when he overheard two elves talking about how he wasn't an elf. (laughs) Adopted by Papa Elf when he was a baby, all Buddy knew was life as an elf. And according to his adopted father, he was no different than the rest of the elves, except that he grew twice as fast. He was 6'3", and he had a beard when he was 15. But after receiving this life-altering news, Buddy sets out to find his real dad in New York city. He passes through the seven levels of the candy cane forest, past the sea of twirly, swirly gumdrops, and then he finally walks through the Lincoln Tunnel. But unfortunately for Buddy, his real dad, Walter, who by the way was on the naughty list, was not thrilled to meet him. And even though Buddy, he he planned a whole day, a special day filled with snow, angel-making, ice skating, eating a whole roll of Toll House cookie dough as quickly as possible, and snuggling, Walter had little to no interest in getting to know his son. But if you've seen the movie, and most of us have seen it about a billion times, if you've seen this movie, you know Walter begins to change. And instead of occupying himself with his career, he begins to understand the importance of family, and his heart begins to soften towards Buddy, so much so that he leaves his furious boss in the middle of a presentation to go find his newfound son. And by the end of the movie, Buddy's been brought into this family, and there's this picturesque scene of Buddy and his new family. They're opening presents and singing Christmas carols on Christmas day. So many Christmas movies, Christmas songs, they talk about the gift of family, the gift of loved ones. Elf, Home Alone, the song, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, It's a Wonderful Life. You could make the argument that Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer is about family and loved ones. (laughs) And this isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's good to reflect It's good to be grateful for family and community. But how often do we consider our membership in the family of God? Are we quick to make the connection between the little baby that we see in nativity scenes and our adoption? I'm not. And I'm grateful for Galatians 4 because this text, it connects for us in a very clear way Christ's coming and our adoption. The advent of Christ and our newfound sonship in God's family. Because what we see in the New Testament is that Christ did not just come to save us from our sins. That would have been mind-boggling mercy in and of itself, but God went a step farther. God didn't forgive us and then leave us just to kind of figure life out. He didn't keep us at arm's length like he was embarrassed of us. He's brought us near. He's adopted us. According to J.I. Packer, adoption is the crowning blessing of the gospel, and our entire Christian life should be understood with our adoption in view. He writes, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. So may our adoption shape everything about us. May it shape and inform how we pursue the Lord. And may we celebrate Christmas with our adoption in view. So my prayer is that our joy this Advent season would increase as we contemplate the adoption. So our main point as we look at this text this morning is simply this, rejoice, Because God has adopted you. Rejoice because God has adopted you. And how does God accomplish this adoption? How do we experience this adoption? What we see in our text, first, God sent his son. And second, God sent his spirit. So first, God sent his son. Let's look at verses four and five again. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. When the fullness of time had come, at the right time, at the perfect time, at the wisest time, God sent Jesus Christ, His only Son, to earth. And we don't know why God chose this specific time to send his son. Scripture doesn't tell us. But Christ came to earth exactly when he needed to. And this moment, it was always coming. All of the Old Testament, all of human history up to this point, it anticipated this time to come. All of the prophecies, they longed to be fulfilled. Where was the Lord? Would he be faithful? Would he be true to what he'd promised? It'd been 400 years since God had spoken. Mankind needed a savior. Jews and Gentiles alike needed redemption. But then things began to happen. Matthew chapter one, the fullness of time had come. The plan that had existed before the foundations of the earth was now set. In motion. Christ had entered our world. Over the course of his life, Charles Wesley was the author of over 6,000 hymns. And and many of these hymns he wrote so the illiterate could learn and and memorize and benefit from rich theology. And one of his most famous hymns, which is actually later edited by George Whitfield is what we know today as Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And he wrote this hymn about a year after his conversion. And the story goes, he was on his way to church on Christmas morning in London. And he heard the church bells announcing the Christmas Day service. And in that moment, he was inspired to write this celebratory hymn that announces Christ's coming. Listen to these lyrics. This should be our response to verse four. Hark, look, listen, pay attention to. The herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful, all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies with angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. The fullness of time had come. Christ has come to earth, and that is reason to celebrate. That's why we sing so much at Christmas. That's why we sing so much. It's in joyful response to God's initiation of our redemption. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. And as we continue to read in verse 4, however, we we see that Jesus, he came in a particular way. And it was important for our sake that he came in a particular way. Way God sent forth his son born of woman, born under the law. So first, what what does it mean that Jesus was born of woman? It means that Christ was born as a man. Like you and me, he he took on human form. Jesus had he had always existed with his father not as a created being, but as God. And when he came to our world, he didn't cease to be God, but he took on human nature. And so those two natures, they existed simultaneously. John 1 talks about it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking about Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. And then what happened? Verse 14, and the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. As of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. God sent forth his son born of woman. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around. How incredible this is. God became man. We could see him with our eyes. We could touch him with our hands. Just like we were singing, who would have dreamed or ever foreseen that we could hold God in our hands. That's what we were just singing about. And because of this, he can identify with us. He knows what it's like to walk in our shoes. He knows what it's like to wake up to the hardship of our world. He knows what it's like to be tempted. And the writer of Hebrews, he talks about this. As our high priest and savior, Jesus, he, he can sympathize with our weaknesses. And our suffering. In our lives, we're, we're attracted to people who we can relate to. We want advice from people who are on the same road as us, but just a couple steps down the road. We want marriage counseling from an older couple. Parenting advice from older parents. Wisdom for career decisions from successful businessmen. We want comfort from those who have suffered like we are suffering. We want accountability from those who have experienced similar temptations, that have walked through similar seasons of life. We do that that automatically. So how much more should we crave comfort from Christ? How much more should we flee to Christ? He knows. He understands. And because of that, His disposition is to show us mercy and to show us grace. But if that isn't amazing enough, we see that he also, he subjected himself under the law. And what does that mean? What does that mean that Christ subjected himself to be under the law? Well, at this point, in the book of Galatians, Paul has made it very clear that all people, Jew or Gentile, are under the law. All people are accountable to the moral standard that's been set by God himself. And Jesus, he summarized this law with two commands, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And we, as Paul says in this book, we've broken this law. And I just think about the last week, I've broken both these commands. I've loved something more than God. I've loved people's opinion of me more than God. I've gotten angry. I've been critical. I haven't loved people like God commands me to. The law, it reveals our sin in a very clear way. An example of this, I don't, I don't know if you've ever had this experience but you don't realize how dirty the inside of your car window is until the sun hits it. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. You don't see it when you're driving at night. You don't see it when you're driving away from the sun. But the moment you turn into the sun— you can like barely see, and maybe I just have a nasty car window, but I can just like barely see what's happening on the road. I don't know how it gets that dirty. My wife's toe prints are where she puts her feet up on the dash. I've got fingerprints in front of the street. I don't even know how they got there. I try the windshield wiper fluid that doesn't move. The mess is on the inside. God's law is like the sun hitting my car window. Sin, it's clearly seen when it's exposed to the purity and the holiness of God's law. The law shows us our sin. It shows us our rebellion against God very clearly. So, because of our sin, the law rules us, it holds us accountable. But because we're naturally enslaved by our sin, no matter how hard we try to be good or moral, We'll just never better to measure up. And as a result, Paul says that we are under God's judgment. He says earlier in the, the letter in Galatians three, he says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. It's a sobering reality. And maybe you feel that pretty acutely this morning. Maybe you feel imprisoned or trapped by your failing. You, knew, you know what you should be doing, but you're doing the exact opposite. And maybe as we were singing, you're just thinking, man, I, what am I doing here? These people only knew what happened last night or earlier this week. Or first thing this morning. Maybe you feel like you'll never change. That sin just kind of keeps hanging around. You can't quite shake it. You can't stop getting angry. You can't stop being anxious. You can't stop lusting. You can't stop caring about what people think about you. You feel trapped. You feel enslaved by your sin. You know it's sin. You know it's wrong. But freedom feels unattainable. The good news for you, the good news for me, is that Christ attained the unattainable. He attained the unattainable. Listen to John Stott. Throughout his life, Jesus submitted to all the requirements of the law all of the requirements of the law. He succeeded where all others before and since have failed. He perfectly fulfilled the righteousness of the law. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. So the divinity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, and the righteousness of Christ uniquely qualified him to be man's redeemer. Being fully God, he had the power to redeem us. Being fully man, he could be our representative. And being completely righteous, he could save the unrighteous. That's you and me. Paul writes later in Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's us, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. He was cursed so that we might be redeemed. And in the original text, when when Paul uses that word redeemed, he's using transactional language. Christ purchased us from our old master, the law, satisfying its demands, pacifying its judgment. We were purchased for adoption. And there it is. The point of all this, Christ being sent by his father, Christ being born in human form, Christ submitting to All of the requirements of the law, all so that we might be redeemed and adopted by God. Advent has everything to do with our adoption. Without the advent of Christ, there is no adoption. Our adoption, (laughs) it was the goal of Christ's arrival to the world. He came. To purchase us for himself, so that we see that wording in the text, so that we might be adopted as sons. So rejoice, rejoice, regardless of what's happening at home, regardless of what you wake up to tomorrow morning, rejoice. God has adopted you, we're adopted. And in the original language, when he says that we've received adoption as sons, Paul, he's also using legal language, language that was used in the process of adoption in the ancient world. So Paul's not saying you've been redeemed and God loves you so much. It's like you're his son. It's close. No, you are his son legally. You are a part of his people. All the promises that were for the people of Israel are now for you and me. Man or woman, we have the status of the chosen son. The son who will receive his father's inheritance. Paul's not being sexist here. He's not excluding women. When he talks about being a son, he's talking about the place of honor and privilege. That's extended to all people regardless of gender, race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, it's an invitation for everyone. So do you believe that? Do you believe that? Does this have an impact when you wake up tomorrow morning to another week? According to Paul, this is your identity. This is who you are. Son of God. When the fullness of time had come, Jesus came so that we might be adopted. And Now that Christ has paved the way for our adoption, how do we actually experience it? How can we be sure of our adoption? Well, we see in verse six, our second point, God sent his spirit. These verses just keep getting better. Look at verse six. And because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. There's a parallel here that we see in this text. In verse 4, God sent his son. Now, in verse 6, we see that God sent his spirit, the spirit of Christ, and the fact that Paul calls the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, it's significant, because not only are we close to our Father, but Christ, the one who redeemed us, also dwells with us. John Stott writes, God sent his Son that we might have the status of sonship, and he sent his Spirit that we might have an experience of it. The spirit is, he's declaring to us, he's confirming this new relationship that we now enjoy with our heavenly father. The spirit is crying, Abba, father. The word Abba, it's an intimate word for father. So the nearness that we experience with God is not dependent upon how we feel. If we feel like a son or not, it's not dependent upon our track record of prayer or reading the Bible. It's not dependent on your performance or what you bring to the table. Confirmation of our adoption comes from outside of us, comes outside of all our emotional confusion. God himself bears witness. And you can see this in 1 John 4. He declares to us by his spirit, you are are mine and nothing can change that so rejoice because God has adopted you if you're a Christian you know what life was like before the spirit broke into your hard heart and changed everything your eyes were opened to the gospel you understood it for the first time the Spirit of Christ had entered into you. You would become a son. And because the Spirit is declaring to us our adoption, we, enabled by that same Spirit, in turn, cry out, Abba, Father. And Jesus himself, in Mark 14, he used this language when addressing his Father in the Garden of Gethsemane a Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. We now speak to God just like Christ did in the moment of his most intense need. We can pray like Christ prayed. We can pray with the same level of intimacy the same confidence that God hears us. So does that inform how you pray? Does that make a difference? I want to pray in light of this. <laughs> We'd probably all acknowledge that, yeah, God, God probably heard Jesus when he was on earth and when he'd pray. We assume that when we read the Gospels. Of course the father's listening to his son pray. Yep, we still have a, hard time believing that he actually listens to us and if we don't think that God listens to us why would we trust him at all let alone believe that he's our father Paul he's he's building our faith to pray just like God heard Jesus he hears you and me so we can pray boldly and dependently we can pray like only sons can. It's good news this morning. But the Spirit does even more. does even more than that. And Paul's going to flesh this out in the rest of this epistle. But the Spirit, it actually changes our desires. We're different people. We're not the same. And if you want an illustration of this, just look at VFC. There are students on our leadership team who arrived at UT with little to no desire for God at all. Now they sacrifice their time and energy on campus, making VFC successful. They're evangelists. They love God's word. They're church members. It's happening. You just look around this room. God's spirit is at work. The fact that there are people joyfully serving, serving on the hospitality team, the tech team, the worship team. It's a miracle. We want to see God do this work for this church plant. May we better watch as the Lord transforms hearts from the inside. That's what we're after. That's the point of this church plant. That's what we want to see in our city. And God promised, he promised that this transforming work was coming. Ezekiel 36. He made this promise. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Our desires have changed. That promise has been fulfilled. We want to serve God. We want to love him. The law that once ruled us, we now want to follow. We now have a growing love for God's ways. We want to please our gracious father. One theologian writes, God changes our nature by sending the spirit of his son into our hearts and there in the very core of our being, his spirit remains and resides. He never departs. But more than that, He transforms us, starting from the inside, steadily working his way out, over time consuming the whole of who we are. It's a process initiated at our redemption of rooting out all the remaining sin so that one day you and I, we're going to stand before God in our glorified, perfected bodies, and sin will be an afterthought. That's where we're going. And it's this this new desire to obey God that marks genuine conversion. And if you're struggling with assurance, be encouraged by this text. You can be encouraged. If the Spirit is in you, there will be evidence of it in your life. So just consider, do you have a desire for God at all? If so, that's evidence. That God is at work in your life. It's a supernatural thing you would come on a Sunday morning. It's a supernatural thing that you would want to grow in your battle against sin. It's a supernatural thing that you would want to pray. That you would want to be in God's word. God is at work. And he loves to answer the prayer for more of a desire to obey. And he loves to answer the prayer of more of a desire to love him. If you're a Christian, God is invested in your sanctification. His spirit is, work, is at work and will be until you see Jesus with your eyes. So keep fighting. Amen. Keep resisting sin. You are not alone. Your Father and your Redeemer dwell with you. In closing, let's look at the last verse in our text. Galatians Four, verse 7. He says, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So summarizing these past few verses, Paul, he's drawing attention to one more privilege we now enjoy as sons of God. Look at the end of this verse. If you are a son, then you are an heir through God. There's just one glorious truth in this text after another. We are heirs, heirs through God. And what are we inheriting? What is our inheritance? John Piper writes, our inheritance as children of God includes at least this, the world and all that is in it. God himself as our final and ultimate portion and reward and new glorified bodies that we can enjoy more fully and more deeply, God and his gifts with no hint of idolatry. We're going somewhere as sons. And it's not a title that we just enjoy on earth and then just leaves when we die. It's after death that we get our The best is yet to come. It's in the new heavens and the new earth that the privileges of our adoption are most clearly seen and enjoyed. So you and me, we are rich beyond imagination. And we can lose sight of this during Christmas. I mean, materialism reigns right now just generally, but especially in the Christmas season. We're always confronted with it. TV commercials, social media ads, billboards, in-store promotions, wish lists. It's almost comical. (laughs) How focused on stuff our culture gets. So may we not be lulled to sleep by our world. Enjoy good gifts, yes. But may we not take our eyes off the prize. Off the inheritance that we have as Sons, as members of God's family, this world is not our home. We have hope for our future, a better life ahead. We are not living our best life now. Just wait 500 years from now. Just wait. It's going to blow your mind. The advent of Christ, it gives us hope for that inevitable date on the calendar. It gives us hope for that date. Because of our adoption, we can look forward to our future with expectation and with hope, no matter how bleak or how broken our lives might appear. So may the the reality of our adoption, may, may it cut through the distractions of this season. This week, may our joy increase as we think about the implications of Christ's coming he has done what we could not he has borne the curse in our stead he has made a way for us to be redeemed now the spirit of Christ dwells in us there is no better news you could hear so rejoice because God has adopted you let's pray Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that we find in it. Help us rejoice in our adoption. Lord, protect us from thinking that our standing before you is based on our works. Lord, pray for a fresh awareness of the spirit of Christ, a fresh awareness of your spirit that confirms our adoption. This week, May we freshly enjoy our status as yes. sons. Amen. Thank you for your word. To you be the glory. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to a message recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at eight six five six nine four. 4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.